Elementary kids, you can head out now, have an awesome time this morning. Open your hearts to Jesus and to His Word, okay? It's great. This morning, we're privileged to have one of our global workers with us, and he's going to be uh, coming uh, right away and, and sharing the Word of God with us this morning and a little bit of what's going on in Vietnam where he serves. And many of you know Kelly and Angela, who served in our church for many years as uh, uh, youth leaders. Uh, Kelly served on our pastor's council for some years, and just always a heart for God and for serving people and spreading the good news of Jesus. And uh, it's a joy again to uh, have you and uh, uh, new addition to uh, a little brother for Ireland, Karsten. And uh, we get to get to see him later too. So, got a cheering section at the back, guys. You can be as, as you know. I said uh, I said to your dad that there'd be some cheering. He said maybe some jeering. So they love you. They love you. And uh, welcome uh, Kelly, who has served along with Angela for six years in Vietnam. And we have the privilege as a church family to help to support through prayer and uh, a little bit of giving each month as well. So welcome him as he shares the Word of God right now. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it really is special to be back here. I mean, uh, I'll say this because my, my entourage in the back, uh, we, we miss family, but other than that, we don't miss too many things from Canada, which is probably a good thing. Uh, but, however, that being said, one of the things that we do miss is Eaglemont. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here this morning and it's trying to butter you up. It's, it, it's really true. There's, I look around the room and, and this place, it's just, there's so many foundational memories that I have here. So many people that have spoken into my life, that have prayed for me, encouraged me, given me a little kick when I needed it, and, and all those things. It's just such a special place, and we are so, so incredibly thankful that you guys have so faithfully supported us, not just financially, but in praying for us and just asking, hey, how's it going? How are things? And, and you guys are, are the best, and so I, I'm going to stop before I, I tear up or anything. Um, but I want to share a little bit about what we do in Vietnam. You know, uh, we've been there, as Pastor Marlowe said, for, for six years. And what we do, actually, is we partner with local churches, very similar to, to churches like this, except for they're often a lot smaller and they meet in people's homes because, for the most part, church and Christianity is a little bit of this gray area of life in uh, Vietnam, which is a communist country. Um, and so what we do is actually we partner with these local small churches to help them get excited about reaching the next generation. Uh, this, the city that we live in is home to hundreds of thousands of university students, if you can believe it or not. Um, every year, every month, there are people that come from all different parts of the country to come to the city that we live in to go to school, to find a job, to do anything that they can to, to get a better life for themselves. And, you know, one thing you got to know about Vietnam is that the, the people, most of them are very, how do I put this, very nominally Buddhist and very highly materialistically driven. Everything is about money, career, job, and getting ahead in life. And so 
these students, when they, when they come to the city, they come often alone. Oftentimes their family has been putting every penny aside so they can send their kid. It's the only hope they have at getting ahead. And they come to the city and they're lost. They come to a city of, the city we live in has, depending on who's counting, 14 million to 20 million people, plus or minus Toronto, no big deal. Uh, depends on who you ask, but they come there and they're lost. They don't know what's going on. They, they have no hope. They, they look at their, their Buddhist background and they say, it's clearly not working. They, they look at the, the, the materialism-driven focus of the culture and they're like, it's not working. Like, the chances of me making it are very slim. And so they have nowhere to place their hope. And it's a very dark experience for many of these students who come into the city. And, and for us, what we get really excited about is because it is in the middle of that darkness where we see an opportunity to shine the light of Christ. And these churches, what we are encouraging them to do is to use any means necessary to reach out to these kids, these young people, to show them that there is a hope, that there is a way. There is something more than just what you can see here in this life, and that is Jesus. And so we use any means necessary. We use sports programs and athletics. We use uh, ESL. We use uh, arts and, and education and soft skill training and, and whatever it takes to introduce these young students to Christian community. And when they get and they see people who love Jesus and they have a chance to meet Christ, what happens is very simple. They say, I want more of that. I need more of that because this is the first real thing that I've seen in my life. And what's so exciting for us is that as these people, they're coming from all over the country. They, they come into these churches and they get saved. They come to know Jesus. And then, you know what their first thought is? Hey, I want to go back to my hometown. I want to go back and tell my family about this Jesus. I want to go back and, and share this love that I never knew before and tell them about this thing. And so for me, that just is so exciting because we get to stay in the city and help these churches to do what God has called them to do. And, you know, one of the things that gets me so excited is just pulling up into the parking lot here and I see the, the building project that I remember being a part of the faith expansion way back in the day. And, you know, on the other side of the world now, we got to be a part of another building project through support from you guys as well. And in December, we actually helped one of these local churches to build a student center. I think it's on the picture here on the bottom right. It's a five-story student center in a place of the city called, they call it the University Village. The government is actually moving all of the universities in the city into one central location that will soon be home to 400,000 students. And we, just in December, finished that project with this church, and now that place is reaching out to these students on the campus and sharing the love of God. And Lord willing that when we go back to Vietnam this fall, we'll actually be planting a church there so that people can come and experience Christ right on campus. So, you know, I, I share a little bit about what we're doing, but it's really, you guys are a part of it. 
I, I know a lot of global workers will say this thing, but we, we, we cannot do it without your support, without your prayer. And, you know, I feel, I truly feel that we are out there, we are serving, but we are really standing on the shoulders of giants. And you guys are those giants who are behind us, supporting us, praying for us, and so faithful in what you are doing. So from me and Angela and all of our local church partners in Vietnam, who you don't even know, but we've talked about you, they, we just say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your support. And we love you so much. And so that's a little bit about what we're doing in Vietnam. If you want more information, you can go to the, the website we have there on the bottom of the screen. And that's really, will just take you to a place where you can sign up for our newsletter or you can find us on social media where we post some updates and stuff. So if you want to know more, you can do that or you can talk to me after the service this morning. So now to the Word of God. Uh, thank you, Pastor Marlow, for asking me and inviting me to, to share the Word this morning. It really is a, a honor and a privilege. And my understanding is that you guys have been working through a, a sermon series on the parables. No? Uh-oh. <laughs> well, we're going to audible, and uh, I'm going to preach in Vietnamese. <laughs> no, uh, parables, right? Thank you. You know, uh, parables, hidden truths in plain sight. And this morning we're going to actually be looking at one of the more famous ones, the more well-known ones, and that's the parable of the sower. So if you do have your Bible, hard copy or e-copy, or you can turn to the screen, we're actually going to be looking in the book of Mark, chapter 4. And what I love about the parables is that they often speak for themselves. Or often Jesus interprets it for us, but they are very practical and clear truths about how we can take the Word of God and apply it to our life. And so this morning we are reading in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Let me begin. It said, once again... Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore, and he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. And so we see Jesus doing what he's regularly been doing. He's teaching. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. He's going around talking about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus often would preach in the synagogues, which were... The, the Jewish places of worship at the time would be like coming to a church, the places where the religious people gathered. But here we see something different. Jesus goes to the lake. He gets on a boat. And he's kind of out in the open. And he's talking to everyday normal people. I'm sure some would have a religious background, but there would be others who didn't, didn't have any at all. And so what's different here is that he actually attracted a crowd of people who actually wanted to hear his teaching. They wanted to listen to him. So we'll take note of that because that's going to become important later. And it says, he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables. Well, I'm sure we've gone over it, but just as a review, what, what is a parable? What is a parable? What is a 
what makes it different than just a story or an illustration? Um, one of my favorite definitions from Bible college was a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's often just a something, a simple truth, a simple illustration, a simple story that has such a depth of meaning that it can be unpacked over and over and over again. So that's how Jesus taught through parables on a boat, on a lake. Verse 3, Jesus said, and he begins the story. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. That's the story. That's the parable that Jesus told. And at first glance, it's seeming like... What's Jesus doing? He's giving a lecture that would be not out of place in the faculty of agriculture at the U of A. Like, what's going on here, Jesus? Why are you talking about seeds and farmers and footpaths? And I don't get it. But then Jesus throws out this line in verse 9. He says, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. What does that mean? That means that something deeper is going on here. There's something, some truth, some nugget of goodness that's there that we need to find. And so we continue in verse 10. Later when Jesus was alone with his disciples, I'm sure they were kind of nervous, but they, they, they cornered Jesus and it says that they asked him, what the parables meant. They said, Jesus, you, you told this story about the seed and the footpath and all this stuff. We don't get it. What does it mean? And so even Jesus' disciples, the people who were closest to him, they didn't understand. And so Jesus said in verse 11, he said, you guys, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Interesting. Interesting. So what do, what do we do with that? I think what Jesus is getting at is why did he speak in parables is because he wanted the people who actually wanted to know what he was saying, to take that step, to dig just a little bit deeper and find the truth. The, the people who were self-righteous or thought of themselves as too sophisticated or too well-knowing to, uh, I'm not going to pay attention to this example of this Jewish rabbi, this seed story that doesn't make sense. Jesus said, fine, it's not for them. They're not going to get it. They're gonna, it's going to go right over their head. They're going to miss the point. All they would hear would be 
this weird story about farming and seeds. But those who approached Jesus, like the disciples, those who are eager to learn, those who wanted to know the truth, Jesus would let them know. And so Jesus continues in verse 13. He said, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how then will you understand all of the other parables? Wow. That sometimes this parable that we're looking at this morning, sometimes it's been called the parable of parables. The, the key to understanding the rest. AKA, pay attention. There is something really, really important here in this parable. Verse 14, Jesus said, and he's, he's beginning to explain the meaning to the disciples. He says, the farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. Okay, so now we unlock the information that the seed is the word of God. Right here, your Bible, the word of God. This is the seed that the farmer was scattering. Okay, and so that's interesting, but now we go on to this idea of these different types of soil, four different types. And so I'd be willing to bet that most of your Bibles would call, and actually what I introduced this parable as, would call this parable as the parable of the sower or the farmer scattering seed. But could I actually suggest a different name for this parable without getting struck by lightning? Uh, one that maybe just helps understand what the point is just a little bit more here. I think we could call this the parable of the soils as well because the focus now on Jesus' explanation here is on each of the different soil. And what I'd be willing to bet is that everyone here, we can find ourselves in one of these soils. Maybe multiple. And maybe changes at different points in our life, but here we see four types of soil. And so the seed is the word of God, but what we learn very quickly is that not all of the soils produce good fruit. So let's continue. Jesus begins to explain each of the, each of the types. Verse 15, he says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, who hear the word of God, only to have Satan come and take it away. Interesting. I, I think this one is somewhat easy for us to understand. I mean, I'm no farmer, but if you throw a seed onto the ground, onto the footpath, even I wouldn't expect it to grow. There's no roots. There's no depth. It's not the kind of condition where you would expect something to thrive. A seed that's thrown on the footpath gets blown away. The birds can come and eat it. It's very, that's a very clear and obvious one. The seed never had a chance. And so this is talking about a particular kind of person. And I'd be willing to bet that most of us, when we think of people, we could think of someone who fits into this category. You know, those, that person who immediately rolls their eyes anytime anything about your Christian life comes up. Actually, rolling their eyes might be the, the easiest part of that nowadays. 
but it, it reminds me of a story once. One of the first times I ever preached uh, was actually at a soup kitchen in downtown Van Vancouver. And it was one of those places where uh, people could come, anyone could come off the street, and all they had to do was listen to a church service, and then they got a meal. And I think I was 18, 19 years old, and it was one of the first times I was preaching, so I'm, I'm nervous, I'm, I'm getting ready to go up there, and I get up there, and there's probably 80 to 100 people just sitting in there, kind of mostly just grumpy, waiting for their food. And I get up there, and I probably get two words out uh, before I hear someone in the back say, hey, buddy, shut up and skip the Bible stuff. I'm hungry. I'm like, ooh, okay. So how, how do you continue? How, how do you continue after that? That kind of person the seed of the Word of God, it was never going to penetrate. It was never, it wasn't the type of soil where that would take root. And we know people like that. We know people that when you try to speak those words of truth, those words of love, those encouraging verses from the Bible, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And Jesus was very clear. There are people like that. There are people like that. Their heart, the condition of their heart is not ready to receive the truth of the Word of God. And so I'd be willing to bet that in a room of this size, there's actually probably not too many people here who would fit in this category. I mean, the fact that you are here today suggests that at least some part of you is open. Some part of you wants to be here. But let's continue. Verse 16, Jesus talks about the next type of soil. He says, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message of God and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Interesting. I think this one is also fairly easy to kind of wrap our head around, like, Rocky soil. They fall away as soon as they have problems. Oh, problems. In Christian life, we have many problems. There's regret, resentment, bitterness, offense, unforgiveness. These things can represent stones or rocks in the garden of our heart that keep the Word of God choked out. They become things that we hold on to that don't allow God's word to grow as it truly should. I think we can wrap our heads around that. But it doesn't just say problems, but it also says those who are persecuted for believing God's word. You know, in Vietnam, where we serve, this is one that we encounter a lot. Many of those young people who come to faith, they come to faith with a lot of eagerness and excitement. It's, everything's new to them. Be, before they heard about Jesus, most people didn't know the difference between Jesus and Santa Claus. They mixed the two in their minds as part of Western culture. But when they have an encounter with Jesus, it's so powerful, it's so real that their lives are changed, but then reality can soon set in. They can say, oh, I'm a Christian now, I believe, and then they go back home 
And then their, their family, who, as I mentioned before, was probably nominally Buddhist, now all of a sudden, they're really Buddhist. And now you are attacking our family. You are going against our cultural values. You are destroying this family. And these young people, they, they hear all these things. They hear, you're going to get kicked out of our family. You're going to never get a job. You're never going to be able to rise in society because now you're a Christian. And that kind of persecution comes at a cost. And a lot of these young people are faced with the choice. What do we do? And so we see, just like this, we see those who, as soon as those problems come, boom, they fall away. They fall away. But we also see many who say, I'm going to put my faith and my hope in someone greater than me. And I'm going to believe, not only will God help me to go through this persecution, but he's going to save my family. He's going to save those people who are attacking me. And so, rocky soil, problems, or persecution don't allow the word of God to take root in our hearts as it should. But then Jesus talks about another point, another soil, thorny soil. Verse 18, he says, The seed that fell among the thorns represent others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. This is where I think, if I'm being honest, many of us, even myself at times, can find ourselves in the weeds in the thorny parts of life. You know, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions have the capacity to put a stranglehold on the promises that God has given to us. You know, the Bible is so full of God's goodness, so full of his promises to us, and yet, just with the way we think, just with the way we choose to pay attention to certain things, we can throw all that away. We can totally ignore it. Those promises, the truth of God becomes choked and strangled in our lives. You know, we totally live in a world of distraction. And here, Jesus just points out three things here that seem to grow in our lives that distract us from God. Worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. Worries of life. I, I don't even think I need to explain this one. If I asked you to write out a list of all the worries that you have right now, I'm sure we'd be here a long time. Or maybe that's just me. Because there's always, always something to worry about if we focus on it. Always something that can take our attention away from Jesus. The, the lure of wealth, I mean, that's such a big thing. You know, as I said before, the, in Vietnam where we serve, we just see every day people who are so focused on, you know what, actually coming here. Everyone we talk to is like, so you're from Canada, and 
you and your family move to Vietnam. Interesting, interesting, because everyone I know from Vietnam, they want to move to Canada, and they will do anything that it takes to get there. Canada, the US, Australia, anywhere that they think they'll have a better life. And it is across all levels of society. Rich or poor, doesn't matter. Everybody is focused on getting out to where they think life is better. And so much of that is, is driven materialistically. They want more, they need more. And I'll speak for myself, it's easy to get wrapped up in that. We can get focused on, there's so many good things in life. But as I said before, many, many of them come to the very quick realization, even when they're young, that it's kind of empty. It can, you can chase all the things, all the cool stuff, and it's good, a lot of it is good, but it's all empty at the end of the day. Some people might ask, well, okay, the, the lure of wealth and money, and you might ask, well, how much is too much? Well, maybe I would ask the question back is, how much money do you need in your bank account before you stop trusting God? That number will be different for each and every one of us, but we need to learn that my identity is not in what I own, it's not in my title, it's not even in my job or ministry position as a global worker or a pastor or whatever. Our identity is in Jesus alone. We are adopted into his family. That's a position we didn't earn, we didn't get because we were so good. We are his child because he chose us. And so the deceitfulness of riches creates this sense of entitlement and a false identity that that's who I am. This stuff is who I am. And that crushes what God wants to do in our lives. Where we just say, okay, God, you've blessed me with these things. It's all great. But at the end of the day, I'm all yours. Everything I am belongs to you. I will use whatever you give me to bless others. And the lure of wealth can take us off of that path. And then Jesus says another thing. He says, the desire of other things. <laughs> That's a very broad statement. And what, what I think it means is that the specifics aren't important. It's not the things that we're chasing. We could, we could make a list and the list could be very long. But the, the list is not what's important. It's a warning to avoid the things that are outside of God that take us away from who he is and that make us think that we can provide for ourselves and that we don't need God. And so these are some of the thorns. These are some of the things that when God is trying to work in our lives and speak to us, it, they crowd it out. They block it out. And through the lies of the enemy, we can begin to think, Hmm, did God's word really say that? Does he really mean that? Is that promise for my life really true? Is God really good? And then we can think and think and think and begin to focus on ourself, myself, myself, and then next thing you know, that word of God is choked and strangled. But then Jesus talks about the good soil. 
in verse 20. And he said, The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. I noticed something right away. Notice how that there is an abundance produced when Jesus talks about the seed that fell on the good soil. More than what was planted. The fruitful soil yielded enough to make up for the useless soil. You know, yesterday I was driving back to uh, Edmonton from, from Calgary and we, we took some of the back roads because I wanted to go down Nostalgia Lane and go through all these little small towns and stuff. And what, what, what do you think we saw as kilometer after kilometer passed? Well, the answer was smoke, yes. But beyond the smoke, all we saw was fields. Fields as far as you could see. And, you know, I'm a bad Albertan. I don't think I've ever spent any time on a farm ever here. I've actually probably spent more time in the last six years in Vietnam on farms learning about soybeans and coconuts and dragon fruit and everything else. But to, to me, farming is like magic. Like growing food from essentially nothing. But what I do know is that farmers work incredibly hard. They're some of the hard work, hardest working people you'll ever meet. And they work so hard to cultivate the soil, to make sure that the soil has the best condition possible so that there's the best chance for an abundant harvest. And so there's some things I, I notice in this verse. The seed that fell in the good soil represent those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. You know, tender soil received the seed of the word of God deeply, and it brings about the life change that God intended. You know, the, the life is not in the soil itself. The life is in the word of God. But it needed the condition to go down deep. And then the fruit would come from that. So this morning as we kind of wrap up, I just have a question. Very simply, and it's a reflective question. You don't need to shout out your answer. But it's what is the condition of the soil of your heart this morning. Which type of soil best represents your receptiveness to God's message? Are there areas in your life where there's been hardness or shallowness or distractions that hinder your growth and your understanding of the Word of God? You know what? I... It's very easy. I can think, God, I read your word and I don't get anything out of it. But do I have the right to be angry with God when I haven't done my part to create a space for him and his word to take root in my heart? You know, I am not good at gardening at all. I, I really suck at it. And I have these plants and these trees on our balcony at home. And in Vietnam, everything grows except for the stuff on my balcony. 
and I get so frustrated and I ask people, like, what do you do? What do you treat it with? What's this problem? And you know what it comes down to? I just forget to water the things. <laughs> I just forget to take care of the very simple things. And so now we have someone while we're gone to just every couple days take a look at our place and make sure that the plants are watered and my plants have never looked better. And so do I have the right to be angry when I'm not putting in the work? I think that can be true of our relationship with God. God is not going to bombard us and force us to grow. He wants us to be willing. He wants us to ask him and invite him in. So how can we cultivate a more receptive heart? Very quickly here, we're going to scatter some seeds. Number one, remove the sin in your life. Get rid of it. We read in James 1, 21 to 22, it says, Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. There's that metaphor again. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Remove. Remove the sin in your life as much as possible. Get rid of it. Do what the word of God says. Wow. Number two, refine. Allow God to refine your heart. Psalm 51, verse 10 and 11 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. We can ask God to refine, to cleanse us, to, to make us pure before him. Notice that we can pray to him for help. That song we sang, oh God, my God, I need you. That's right here. God, I need you to clean my heart. Clean the soil of my heart so that I receive your word. And then finally, recognize. So remove, refine, recognize. Recognize that it is God who is the one that is working in you. Philippians 2.13, this is my, what I call my life verse. I had this verse written on the wall of my room growing up. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is the one working in you. He not only helps you become better, he not only purifies your heart, he gives you the desire and the power to do everything that pleases him. We just have to ask. So remove the sin in your life. Get rid of it. Allow God to refine your heart and recognize that God is the one working in you. He produces the fruit. And all we have to do is be willing to say, God, the soil of my heart has been prepared. Now it's the job of your word to take root, to grow. And so, you know, none of this is easy. I said a lot of things, but none of this is easy. Okay, remove the sin. That's very easy. No, it's, it takes time. It takes work. If you've ever had to cultivate a garden, to weed a garden, my parents maybe do that all the time. 
I still don't like weeding. It's awful, but it takes work. But the results and the effort that is put in is well worth it. And so my final, final question is, are you actively scattering seeds of the Word of God in and around your life? You know, oftentimes we think about this parable and we think, oh, scattering seeds, it means sharing the Word of God with others. And yes, that's true. We need to be doing that for sure. It's a big part about what I do and what we do in Vietnam. But that's where we want to get to, but it it starts a lot closer to home. It starts with knowing the Word of God for yourself scattering those seeds into my own life. Remember what Jesus said. This parable was the key to understanding all the rest. That's a big, big statement. And it's one that I never really paid attention to much before. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you want to have the best life? You want to have the relationship with God that is closer than you could ever imagine. You want the best relationships with those around you. You want to know God and the purpose that he has for you. You want to see God do miracles and crazy stuff in your life. Well, if you want that, then you've got to know the word. You've got to have the word planted deep into your heart. And how do we do that? It starts by cultivating that good soil that willingness to be receptive to the Word of God. And so my challenge as we finish today is just start small. You know, start small. Start with yourself. Start with your family. But just get more of this into here. Get more of this, the Word of God, into your life. And I know I can read this thing and it can seem pretty dense, it can, be, it can seem like, I don't understand. But the more we put in, the more we say, oh God, my God, I need you. Help me to understand. He will. He will. And that seed, which does not return void, it will take root in our hearts and it will grow and we will see a fruit of abundance that is 30, 60, 100 times more than what we could ever imagine. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that even 2,000 years later, we can read the story of the parable of the sower that you told your disciples, and it can impact us today. I pray that that word that we read would sink deep into our hearts and there would be deep, strong roots in in the soil of our soul that grow to become fruit and fruit abundant that is evidence of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, of all the good things that you are, that they would become evident through our lives. I pray that for those who have been struggling with their faith, that struggling to read the word, struggling to understand, I pray that your grace would be given to them and that understanding would be open to them and that their eyes and ears would be open. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to get more of your word into our lives and help us to do that. Lord, I pray that 
there would be story after story, testimony of what you are doing and the fruit of abundance that you are doing in Eaglemont as we continue to serve you. Thank you and bless your name, Jesus. Amen.